a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. The pandemic forced many churches to move their worship services online. We all know and experience that. Uh, and now, despite things opening back up, some churchgoers are opting to stick with virtual church rather than returning in person. Some religious experts uh, say that in-person church has really important benefits. And to help us break all this down, uh, one of our favorite thinkers and writers, Maya Jaredot from Deseret News, uh, joins us from Florida. She wrote a very powerful piece on Deseret.com that you can check out, uh, talking about uh, church without church. Maya, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's dive into this uh, in terms of uh, what we learned during the pandemic and, and what people are doing as we emerge, especially as it relates to gathering and coming together in person or virtually. Yeah, I think... I think one of the most interesting aspects, I'm just going to dive right in, I think one of the most interesting aspects about working on this piece um, was that the pastors aren't calling into question the, the need to gather face-to-face for, you know, every once in a while. Um, what, they're, what they're asking questions about is church buildings um, and the use of space. And one, one of the pastors featured in the story had a building um, prior to the pandemic and lost it at some point during the pandemic due to fight, you know, the financial pressures sure. that came about. Um, so, but, but once he went without his building, you know, he felt it to be kind of freeing that then, you know, without that big financial weight, that big financial burden, um, they were free to kind of explore other forms of, of ministry. And so one of the things um, he did with his congregation is they went out and did a beach cleanup, and then they, you know, had lunch together, and I guess they talked scripture a bit during lunch. Um, and he was pointing out to me that this is kind of a way that, that he could start to rejuvenate the church um, by reaching out to young people, you know, based on activities, based on service, and then bringing the, the, the scripture and the heavier kind of religion stuff, you know, kind of tucking that behind the activity. And I thought that was a very interesting approach. Yeah, especially for younger people who are looking for uh, different ways to engage. Uh, part of your uh, piece talked about the fact that some people who do go to church <laughs> may not really be engaged. They may be sleeping yeah. in that pew or in that synagogue. Right. Uh, but this idea of, uh, there, to me, the, the gathering component to religious worship is is always about kind of that linking arms uh, mm. together on that journey. 
And uh, as you mentioned, uh, doing a beach cleanup uh, is one way where especially young people could link arms and engage both in a conversation and a good cause. Uh, What else did you discover uh, with some of these pastors, some of these groups and organizations uh, that are saying, well, maybe not having to raise the money to keep the building going, uh, maybe that makes us all a little better? Yeah, I mean, it puts a little less pressure, obviously, on the pastor. Um, Something that, you know, no one had clear answers for me about, but but that, you know, I kind of floated in in my conversations with pastors is, you know, pastors sometimes are beholden to um, the congregation's, you know, politics and and political views, and pastors sometimes shy away from, you know, getting to maybe pushing the congregation you know, pushing the envelope a bit, like helping them leave their comfort zones. And, and with the, you know, cost of, of keeping a building sometimes and, and, you know, their own salary, sometimes pastors shy away from that. But but with that constraint of a building, I mean, it might free up pastors to, to push congregants a little bit more and, and to go a little bit deeper and to help them leave their their comfort zones, you know, surrounding yeah. certain issues. Yeah. I, um, and that's interesting to me. So yeah. right. No, no, no. I, I love the fact that you uh, raised uh, one group out of Florida, Reverend Smiley, uh, and how they actually got together uh, with a another denomination, a Lutheran denomination, had a little chill and grill. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the other cool thing, I think, about um, and quote unquote losing their their physical building. I, I don't think at this point the pastor considers it such a loss. But um, now that they're kind of a floating congregation and looking for spaces and, and places they can gather, you know, they reached out to a local church and um, and the two groups, you know, met outside and, and did this chill and grill thing. And and the pastor from the Lutheran church, you know, um, hit them with some, you know, a little bit of preaching. But but I think for the most part, it was just a way. For them to connect as a congregation, but also with with another congregation, and I think that's a pretty um, you know compelling aspect of maybe a possible shift away from buildings is that it will bring people together a, a, across you know denomination lines. Yeah, and sometimes there is that barrier to entry, so to speak, of crossing. We always talk about it in terms of crossing the threshold of the church or walking yeah. into a chapel or into a mosque or a synagogue. There's sort of that physical crossing of the threshold. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and you mentioned this in the piece, which I really loved, was just this idea of getting out of the comfort zone and mm-hmm. and having a more intentional focus on uh, what are what is the purpose of this church or this group, and uh, mm-hmm. how can we do that better than maybe we've done it in the past? Mm-hmm. You know, I think something. One of the the people I interviewed um, is a is a woman at a professor at Yale Yale Divinity School, Teresa Berger, and she said that that from a theological standpoint, you know, the the importance isn't the building and gathering inside a building. She said the decisive element is a community gathered around seeking to encounter a divine presence. Mm. And, you know, the building is is a really interesting thing if you you start to kind of chew on it, because there is something that they talk about called um, sacred architecture. So the way that the, the, the architecture of the building itself kind of invokes this feeling, right? Um, and Dr. Andrew Newberg, who is a pioneer in the, in the field of neurotheology, 
um, which is, you know, the study of how religion and the brain, the interplay between the two. Um, he pointed out that the sacred architecture, you know, when you step into a chapel and it's got or the, a church and it's got that soaring, you know, roof, that soaring ceiling, um, that that creates a feeling of spacelessness in, in your brain and the parietal lobe. And that that feeling of spacelessness can help you kind of, you know, interrogate yeah. or break down the space between you and the person next to you. But um, but but with that, we really don't necessarily need the buildings. It's about the intent, right, of yeah. being a community and 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 seeking the divine. Yeah, on purpose, intentional. Uh, I think is such a mm-hmm. a critical part of that. It is a great piece. I encourage everybody. To read. We'll post it on our social uh, feeds today as well. It's Maya Jaredot. It's on Deseret dot com. And really exploring, it got me thinking about a lot of things in terms of both building and gathering, but more to what you've just shared with us, Maya, in terms of being intentional and on purpose in everything we do, whether we do it in a building, whether we do it virtually, whether we do it together, uh, walking on a beach, cleaning up or picking up garbage at the side of the road. Uh, there are opportunities uh, everywhere uh, for us to do it a little different and maybe a little better than we have in the past. That's right. Yep, I believe that. And, you know, that's a little bit the, the kind of Buddhist idea of mindfulness is a little bit, of, you know, the same vein that that's all about being present, right? And doing yeah. things with intent and focus. Yep. Yeah. Wonderful. Maya Jarda, always appreciate your thinking and your great writing. We'll have you back. Uh, we're going to continue to dive into this conversation. Uh, this is one that we all can give some uh, good thought to in the days and months ahead. Maya, thanks for joining us today. When we come back, It is time for us to look at the pioneering spirit from This is the Place uh, to the Edge of Space today. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.